Welcome to the Debrief Podcast with Matt Brown, the podcast where pastor and author Matt Brown debriefs your questions about Christianity and current issues shaping our culture. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Debrief, and I have my buddy John Bevere here today. Thank you, John, for being here. Matt, it's great to be on with you. Yeah. I'm honored. Oh man, thank you so much. So I'm going to talk to- I just wonder how much I'm going to laugh on this program. Oh man. You, you so keep much me laughing. As I, you and my wife are just a pair, let me tell yeah. you. Apparently, I'm licking the microphone to entertain you. Yeah, and I, I can see that. Fur in my mouth. Fur. Uh, so if anybody's it's not watching- It's from your wife's sweater yeah. she was wearing yesterday. <laughs> Everybody doesn't understand that, but- Yeah, the anyway. sweater was dying, you know, as we speak. So how did y'all meet? Let me, let me talk about this. So I met you before you met me. So when I met you, I don't know if you remember this, but it was your wife's 60th birthday party. And it was a surprise. I'm in your house. I've never met you. Mm-hmm. I've never met John. I'm in his house and uh, hoping it's the right house as I pull up and you show up and you say, hey guys, you know, uh, Lisa's pulling up right away. Thank you so much for coming. And you said, uh, Matt and Tammy Brown, whoever you are, can't wait to meet you. I did. And, yeah. <laughs> and then you ran into the garage. So it was great. So I was like literally like a burglar in John's house, but we had a great time and just a great visit and I met so many great friends at that party. Well, well you know, Matt and or, or Tammy and Lisa had become very, very yeah. close friends. Mm-hmm. And what it was, it was a surprise birthday party and it was her 60th right in the middle of COVID. Yeah. So I actually snuck Tammy's number off yeah. my wife's phone, which I felt really weird doing, <laughs> and texted her. And yeah, she was yeah. like, we'll come, we'll yeah. come. And I was so happy you guys did. Yeah, yeah. love it, man. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So let me tell you a funny story. So, you know, you're Italian. Yep. Uh, 70%? Yes, sir. Okay, so Lisa is less. Yes, 50%, but she has the citizenship and passport. Okay, so I have believed my entire life I was Italian. Have I told you this story? No. Yeah, so in my first book, a book called You, I wrote, I'm Italian. It's It, it was in the book. And uh, my whole life, my mom told me we're Italian, whatever. And so we take 23 and me. I am 0% Italian. I am 70% Irish. Like there's, I, I'm, I have 0.04% African. I'm more African than I am <laughs> Italian. That's a true story. So I've been telling people, I've told stories about that's why I'm loud. That's why I just have this huge personality. Zero percent Italian. Well, Irish do have big personalities. Okay, yeah, yeah. And a drinking problem. So that's where that comes from. Yeah. So, but- Oh my gosh, can you believe it? I, I've been lying from the pulpit for you know 25 years. So Lisa and I had an argument okay. just for years. I said, I'm more Italian than you. She's like, no, no, no. <laughs> so we took two Okay. and I beat her out. And I said, you know, finally a 33 year argument is solved. I am more Italian than you. Amen. But Amen. she makes fun of my name because it sounds French. So yeah. I felt like I didn't tell her the truth when we got yeah, married yeah, yeah. because I said, my name I think is French, but I'm more Italian, but actually I have zero French in me. And okay. she said, I got cheated. She said Ooh. she wanted to marry a Frenchman, a Dutchman, not an Italian. I, I said, know. well, you got him. Amen. Where does Bevere come from? It's It was changed at Ellis Island. Okay. So it's Bevere. Okay. And that's the way it's said. Okay. And so hers is Tosca. Toscano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, yeah, they've yeah. got a family crest, all the all yeah. the stuff, right? Yeah. So I'm feeling, every, it, she wins the arguments. The only thing I've got on her is blood. Yeah, that's hilarious, man. Okay, so um, I met you, and I, and I shared this in the, the studio audience, but our, our main church didn't hear this story, but I actually met you in Hawaii, and uh, you were preaching, and I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to hear anything you had to say. Um, not because I don't love you, but because when you're in Hawaii, it is hard to conference. You want to be in the waves. I know. I wanted to go surfing and Tammy made me because she had heard about Lisa Bevere 
And she said, this guy, is, you're going to love this guy. He wrote a book, something about Satan. That's, that's, that's it. And I'm like, <laughs> why on earth do I want to hear a guy that wrote a book about Satan? We're supposed to be at a, you know, and by the way, one of his most famous books is The Bait of Satan. But I didn't know that at the time. And so I show up and this was, this John was a pivotal moment for me. I wasn't doing well. Our church was struggling. I was about ready to turn 40 and I sit down and, you know, you're full of energy and you, you know, you know, you're you, you just, you just come at it super excited. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, I don't want to hear this guy. I don't want to hear anything about Satan, but you didn't preach on Satan. You preached on honor. Yes. And about halfway through your message, the Holy Spirit just starts I mean, pounding me. And I, I'm so convicted. I didn't even try to meet you at the end. I, I had to go home. And so I met Tammy and she's, you know, Lisa's the best. And oh my gosh, my new best friend. And, and I'm like, look, we got to go. We got to go home. And we went back to the hotel and I said, I need to talk to you in the bedroom. And she's like, whoa. And I went and sat her on the bed, John. I got on my knees and I said, I have not honored you as my wife. And I need to ask her forgiveness right here, right now. Will you forgive me? Um, and she did. And I don't think she felt dishonored, but I knew through you. And and it changed me. It changed the kind of husband I am. Then I came home and it changed our church. So we're going to be a culture of honor. If I take you into our executive pastor's office, one of the points, and you guys have seen it, house of honor, that's from John. That didn't come from me. We're a house of honor. We honor up, we honor out, we honor down. Every single person we meet, we honor. And so you know, this is your first time at Samuel's Church, but you have affected this church in a positive way for 12 years. You've changed the direction. So at that time, we had zero campuses. Now we have 14 campuses. I don't think we had an online ministry at all. Now about 100, was 120,000 people a week? 110? I don't know what the number is. You know, tune in uh, to listen to us digitally. And all of that happened after I repented of my sin for dishonoring my wife. And I realized our church was not a house of honor because I was not living a house of honor. And it wasn't something I was I was aware of. You know, if you'd have said, Matt, do you honor Tammy? I'd have gone, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, of course, John, you know, the Bible says. But God used you to change this church. And that's why I'm so glad, you know, you're here this weekend. This is a big weekend for our church. So we're in 40 days of prayer and then we start miracles. So miracles is the next one. And so, uh, you know, Easter is coming up real, you know, short this year. Right. So Easter is the greatest miracle in the history of the world. Yes. And so people Without don't think doubt. of, yeah, they don't think about it that way. And, and I just truly believe thousands of people are going to come to Christ. Last year at Easter, John, we had 5,000 people stand and oh pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 5,000. I've never seen anything like it. So this year, That's remarkable. we're believing for more. Wow. And um, just trusting what God's going to do. And, you know, America needs revival, but California, we need revival. And so um, I don't know if there's anybody listening that just normally listens to you, but as you pray for John and Lisa's ministry, pray for California. Yes, It's so important. And the reason why I go to Ocean's Church, you know, when you and Lisa are there, that's where we last met and were able to set this up was, I love that God brought a guy from Idaho to California because we just lose everybody. I, I feel like uh, I feel like this general taking a hill and all my best soldiers are like, God's calling me to Texas. God's calling me to Idaho. God, and I have, I have felt, Lord, like, you know, because if God says retreat, I'll retreat. But if he didn't, I'm going to stay here and fight on the front lines until I die. And uh, we, I had some good friends leave, John. And they said, we're making the best decision for our family. And I said, what about my family? Like, I'm still here. My kids are still here. And, uh, you know, California is, it's, it's harder than people know. 
it's more difficult than people know. But I met you at Oceans because God called him from the safety of Idaho to California. And he has such a big vision. We're talking about Mark Francie. Yes. Has such a big vision for California. And I don't know if he's going to accomplish all of his goals, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to cheer him on. And, and I, I love that about yeah, you. Yeah. Amen. Oh man. I, I want to be the church guy, John. I want to celebrate the church. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church. I want to be, I want to be a church guy. You know, Tammy and I, when we were, when we were up, and go, yeah, yeah, you? yeah. That's yeah. why God is blessing you oh, so much you. right now. Yeah. You, you understand this is all about him. Yeah. Anything we have, he's mm. given us Amen. that equipment, those giftings to build his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Now we can misuse them. We yeah. can use them for our own glory. Mm -hmm. We can use them for our own benefit. Mm -hmm. And that's when things go south. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, I saw that right from yesterday. Mm -hmm. I, I watched the way you you handled everybody that was in that room mm -hmm. yesterday, the way you talked to your staff. Mm -hmm. I'm observant. I've yeah. been in a lot of ministries. I've been yeah. in this for four decades. Yeah. And I love it when a pastor loves his wife, his children, honors his wife, mm -hmm. honors his children, and you're doing it. Yeah. And to be honest with you, that's what really brings me a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. um, Lisa told me the story about how honor impacted you and you yeah, were in yeah. that service mm -hmm. in Hawaii. I remember yeah. the exact service. I remember yeah. when I preached it. Yeah. And I was so touched by it. But to mm -hmm. come here and actually see it in action, yeah. Is is really and 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 you know you and I as mm -hmm. leaders I mean what leader doesn't make a mistake yeah so you know I went to the Holy Spirit one day and I said Lord mm. who who corrects me when I go wrong mm. my board's not here watching me mm. and um, I said I want to make a deal with you mm -hmm. <laughs> I said if I if I talk to my team in mm. a way that's dishonorable mm. keep me up at night. Do you know how many emails I've written at the middle of the lot at, yeah. at two between two and three in the morning? And every time I talk about it, my staff just cracks up. Yeah. They laugh. It's yeah. a joke now, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I I I love that. I see that. I observe that with you. And I just want to thank you. And that's why you're flourishing. And now I see that overflowing towards the other pastors of the area. Mm -hmm. And I wish all of us had that kind of heart. Because it's all about Jesus in Amen. the end. Amen. And uh, and if you're a leader listening, that takes it takes so much pressure off when it's Jesus, when Doesn't it's his it? church and it's it's his it's his uh, you know, just just it's it's all about him. So let's talk real quick about your book, The Awe of God. This book is doing really well. How how, how did you come up with this idea, formulate this? And, and you know I know 42 chapters, like it's like, okay. You have a reason for that, but God is God is is blessing this book and in a very very. Unusual, I mean, all your books are great, but He's doing something special with this. So, talk to us about that. It all began in 1994. I went to a church and I had seen the fear of the Lord all over the Scripture, and I'm mm -hmm. like, "Why don't we talk mm -hmm. about this?" And I um, remember in this particular church, it was the biggest church in five counties. The Lord said, "I want you to I want you to speak on it," and I'm like, I, "I'm not. I don't know that I'm comfortable." So I got up and I gave a very, very, very lighthearted um, talk. And the next night, before it was a conference, before the pastor introduced me, uh, he corrected what I said for 15 minutes before I got up, and he said, "You know, John preached error last night. Uh, fearing God is an Old Testament doctrine." Uh, God's not given us a spirit of fear in the New Testament. He, he's given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Wow. Uh, perfected love casts out fear. And I'm sitting in the front row and I'm going, well, I'm not getting introduced. Then to my shock, utter shock, uh, he introduces me. It was the hardest 35-minute message I think I've ever given. The next morning I went out and I, 
I started saying, God, I'm so sorry. How have I hurt your church? What have I done? I mean, this is a really well-known man. <clears throat> and I didn't feel the correction of God. I felt the pleasure. And I found myself crying out, Lord, I want to know the holy fear of God. Well, interestingly enough, that church doesn't exist anymore. The man, the last I heard, is building houses. It's, it is interesting. Wow. But it started me on a journey. And then later on that year, I met you know, a man who was in prison and told me that he loved Jesus while he was doing all of his stuff, and but he didn't fear God. So those two encounters started me on a quest, and I started searching and praying. The scriptures, diligently praying, diligently, God, I want to know the fear of God. Because whenever you hear the fear of God, people get really nervous. Um, anything with fear. I mean, we try to eradicate fear in the 1990s. Remember the t-shirts, yeah. no fear? Yeah. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, mm -hmm. FDR. I yeah. mean, I could go on and on and on. When in reality, I realized there's actually two buckets of fear. There's constructive fear and there's destructive fear. The constructive fear of not getting mauled by a mother grizzly bear will give me the wisdom to not mess with her <laughs> cubs in front of her. Yeah. That's actually not a bad fear. Yeah. It's actually, now it can go unhealthy, by the fact that I'm so scared of that grizzly bear, I won't go for a walk in the woods. Now, the fear of the Lord is not an unhealthy fear. It's a very, very healthy fear. It's the beginning of an intimate relationship with God. I mean, that right there should get all, all of our attention. And so I started really, really digging. And I wrote a book in 1997 called The Fear of the Lord. It did okay, but it didn't do what I was hoping. I was hoping pastors would grab it, start teaching it, that we would see a restoration of the healthy fear of God in the church. So um, Lisa has a very well-known book agent, and she's done a lot of the uh, bigger authors, and she kept, she didn't do anything for me. You know, Lisa's the big New York Times bestseller, but she kept pestering me, saying, you've got to write this book on the fear of the Lord, because I, I shared it with her at one point. And, and in 2022, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, now is the time. And I began writing that book, and I took the whole year of 2022 to do it, not realizing that it was really the time that God was going to put this on people's hearts. Mm -hmm. See, people see a gap today. We have understood that God is our dad. We've understood that Jesus loves us deeply, and we should always, always walk in that because God loved us so much. And when I think, it brings me to tears in my morning prayer. When I think about my creator who agrees to come to this earth, and he agrees to be despised, spit in the face, punched in the face, thorns shoved in his head, his beard plucked out, to be whipped so severely that by the time he gets to a cross, he doesn't even have the appearance of a human being anymore. Yeah. And I'm thinking my creator chooses to do that. So we can't even imagine what he left. So I'm established in the sense that I know he loves me. But I kept seeing the holy fear and I kept seeing all the promises. Like after 30 years of studying, I saw over 40 distinct promises that aren't made to anybody else other than those that fear God. So I had to start understanding it. And I realized the first thing was the fear of God wasn't to be scared of God because the fear of God actually draws me to him. Yes, it doesn't amen. repulse me from him. It's actually being terrified of being away from him. And when I look at the fear of God being Jesus's delight, Isaiah eleven three, I look at it being God's treasure, Isaiah 33, verse 6. I look at it how Paul says we mature our salvation through fear and trembling. I thought, wait a minute, something really is missing. Well, then I start realizing in 2022, this is when I got the information, that Barnes said over 30 million Americans have walked away from the faith. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. I mean, that, that put me on my face. And that's when God spoke to me and said, write this book. And I started writing it and I started realizing 
what this book was going to do because it was doing something in me. I'm always, I say my names on these books because I was the first guy to get to read them. Hmm. They always do something in me. And if they do something in me, I know they'll help others. Well, this is the 24th book I've written. And no book that I've written has exploded. I mean, Beta Satan hit 6 million copies last September. Hmm. No book has ever exploded like this one. And I really believe it's because what God spoke to my heart in the early 1990s. So here I am going through this turmoil, this guy telling me, you know, you, you messed up in front of everybody. And shortly afterwards, the Lord said, son, the final move of my spirit on the earth before Jesus returns will be a move of the holy, healthy fear of God. He said, because the fear of the Lord is what perfects holiness. Paul didn't say holiness is perfected in the love of God. And that evangelist who was in prison shared that with me. Yeah, I love no. Jesus, but I was so unholy, right? Ungodly. So the church that Jesus is coming back for, the only description is a holy bride without spot or wrinkle. There's no other description of the church. So the Lord said, the move, the emphasis of the move, of the final move of my spirit will be that. And it will produce the holy church that's powerful. Because when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Yes. Okay, all unhealthy cheers, fears get put put aside. They get they get put in check. They, they they're obliterated. Right. And this is what church fathers have taught for centuries, and they stopped teaching it in the 20th century. We got away from it in, at, right around 1960 and on. Once that Jesus revolution hit, we were so so enamored and should be by the fact that our daddy loved us. We didn't want to talk about fear because we thought fear was unhealthy. So in in reality. We put away the very thing that the Bible promises will keep us till, till the end. I mean, think about it. Lucifer led worship right before the throne of God. Right. He beheld his glory. That, would put, that which put Isaiah on his face and said, I'm undone. Lucifer's worshiping God, but he doesn't fear God. He doesn't endure in heaven forever. A third of the angels behold the Lord. They don't fear God. They don't endure forever. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of God's glory in the garden. They don't fear God. They don't endure in the garden forever. Why have we lost 30 million? Because we haven't taught the holy, healthy fear of God that matures us. That's why I'm so passionate about this message. It's my hopes, Pastor Matt, that every pastor in the United States captures this. I don't care if they say my name. They don't need to. I hope they capture it and they teach the healthy aspect of the fear of the Lord because it will bless people. The yeah. greatest blessings in my life have come because God brought me in to understand the fear of the Lord. It really is his treasure he's given us to bring us into his greatest blessing and presence. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I've heard your talk now three times. I'm halfway through your book. Um, I just think, and if you're saying, why should I Why should I get this book? Because what you do so well is how you split positional holiness versus um, behavioral holiness. And so I remember years ago, I was counseling a young man in our church right after the two, the two towers fell on 9-11 and he was in New York and he was just, you know, struggling as a young man, sinning. And he was always wrapped up in, did I lose my salvation? So he never graduated from positional holiness to behavioral holiness. And his issue was, look, you're sinning. And so what you're asking is, does that undo, you know, not you, but him, does that undo what Christ did on the cross? No, but it's where David says, when David sins in the Psalms, do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. His fear 
was the separation from God, that closeness. And, and so if you're listening, this book, I think really spells that out and it clears, John, a lot of confusion on the issue and you do it so well. Um, let's talk 24 books. Okay, I'm a little jealous. You know, I've written two. Um, so, so we got a lot of writers at Sandals Church and I told you this, um, writing a book is not easy. Like your wife right now is going through some anguish writing a book just yeah. with the, the, the um, editing process. Yeah, the editing process and that's maddening. You've done this 24 times. So speak to the person who hasn't done it one time, but they're trying. How, how can you encourage them? Because, I mean, I, when I was with you uh, for your wife's birthday, you were you had another book. I, it's black with an X on it. Yeah, uh, it's called Multiply Your God. Multiply, yeah, multiply. There we go. Couldn't think of it. My mind went blank. So you were just doing that book. And now there's another one. And it just, so so how do you encourage the person who feels like, like you in the nineties, God was stirring something in their heart and, and maybe they have something to write. So what would you say to them? Well, well, most people don't know is my absolute worst subject in high school was English and creative Come writing on now. and yep. language. I scored 370 on the SAT. Okay. And that's low for those who don't know. my travels, I've only met two human beings that scored lower than me. And one guy guessed on all the answers because he was so angry. <laughs> uh, it would take me three hours to write a one page paper. Okay. Now, I'm going to be really, really transparent on this. If you would have looked at me in 1989, said, you're going to write books. They're going to be in the tens of millions. They're going to be in 129 languages right. all over the world, right? I would have laughed you out of the room. I said, boy, you are delusional. And yet, how, how funny that God will do that. So I remember when he spoke to me in 1991 and said, I want you to write. I, I, I laughed. I thought, God, you just have so many kids now. You're getting us mixed up yeah, with one yeah. another. You don't want me to write. Just talk to my English teachers. And he, there was no response. So I took his no response as uh, an agreement to my rebuttal. So I go 10 months. And 10 months later, two women come up to me from two different states in America, and they say the same words. They said, if you don't write what God's giving you to write, he'll give the messages to somebody else, and one day you'll stand in judgment for it. Wow. When the second woman from the state of Texas said it two weeks after the first woman from Florida, the fear of God hit me. And I remember getting out a notebook piece of paper. And I'm this, this is yeah. what I'm going to recommend. I got a Sharpie and I wrote contract on the top. I wrote a contract with God. I said, I think you're making a huge mistake, basically. <laughs> you got much better writers. Yeah. I don't know how to write. I need grace. Now, I didn't even understand in 1991 that grace is not just God's forgiveness, but it's his empowerment. Yeah. And I signed that contract. And I, I remember I tried to dictate it. Then I tried to write it on a notebook and everything's fa epic, epically failing. I had all my, my cassette tapes. We got to go back. This is, this is prehistoric times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I had them all transcribed. I tried doing it. I felt this, like I was going to throw up dictating it, everything. Finally, I got, I bought a, a laptops had just come out. There was only mm. 25,000, I think, memory on this one that I bought. And I taught myself how to type. And I started getting up to 50, 60 words a minute. Well, what I discovered, Matt, is that I couldn't keep up with what was coming. It was coming so fast. And I realized, I mean, every book I've written, one third of the book I'd never thought of or taught before in my entire life. It came. It, it's such a unique way of meeting with God. Now, how do I practically write? 
I meet people that say they go away for three days and write a book. Mm. And I just sit there and my jaw drops and I say, how do you do it? I approach it. Now, I, I want you to understand what I'm sharing is the way yeah. it works through me. Other people are different. Yeah. So I want everybody to please hear that first. Yes. Okay. I've never had an outline. In all 24 books, wow. I just sit down and start typing. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> I suggest if you really are a teacher, you have an outline. Yeah. But that's just not me. But here's the secret. And I think this is, if I can give anybody out there that's listening secret sauce, this is my secret sauce. What I do is I write a thousand words a day. Okay. So what I, I get a paper calendar. And usually I know a book is going to take me four months to write. In those four months, because a typical trade book, is 60 to 65,000 words. So in those four months, I find 15 to 20 days and I put a pencil pencil number up to 20 on that month, the next month, the next month. And my rule is when I get up after I pray and read the scripture, I have to write my thousand words before I can do one thing with the office or anything else that day. So I know when that calendar has that number on it until about 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm virtually unavailable because I'm usually up about 5, 530, okay. right? So when I write that first thousand words, I literally just vomit on the on the yeah. computer. It, it just, I don't care about sentence structure. I don't care about paragraphs. I just, because it's coming, I, I throw it on there, right? Mm, yeah. After I get to that thousand, that was the easy one. The next day I come back, my next writing day, and I go back and shape that thousand. So I want you to see like we've got a block of wood, like an eight by eight block of wood. And now I'm a, I'm an artist carving a statue like what you've got back here. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start out with the arms, the big arms, the, the, the torso. And, and that's my first day of edits. So my first day I spit out a thousand words. I still have a block of wood. Yeah. Now I come and do the general shape. Right. What that does is that refreshes, but it also gave me at least 24 hours for the next thousand to cook. Because I'm thinking about what I wrote during that the day and yeah. thoughts start coming up. And so I edit that first thousand and I write and I and then now I vomit again on the next thousand. Yeah. So then the third day on the calendar, I come back. Now I'm tightening it up. I'm starting to put the little ribs on that thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Right. And then I do the second one where I'm doing more of the shape and the third one I'm vomiting again, right? That's so good. Yeah. And so then the fourth day I come in, now I'm putting the fine detail and I'll go over uh, a chapter eight to 12 times before I'm wow. satisfied with okay. it. But it's easier. It sounds harder, but it's easier than it is because you start realizing the flow. So then I'll, I'll do that. Once I get in the first chapter, I'll usually spend literally several days on two weeks usually okay. just for chapter one because i know chapter one is so important to set the reader up to get them excited about the book to come in so i do put a lot more time on chapter one then i just start writing and i'll feel like when i'm halfway i'm at thirty thousand. what i do is i go back and read the whole thing again and you'd be amazed at how much you change yeah well that gives me the mindset to now go for the next second half of the book then I get to the second to last chapter and I go back and read the whole thing again. And now I'm, you'd be amazed how many more edits you're going to get. Now I'm really ready for the second to last and last chapter because that's where you're landing the plane. Yeah. And now reading mm. through that gives me the ability to do it. Now, mm. is it a time commitment? Yeah, it's 400 hours. 
And that's why when you spread it, in my opinion, over the four months, you don't, there's writer's fatigue. And if you're sitting there and doing it in three days, I challenge the quality of what you're saying. Yeah. It just like, okay, if I, if I read, if I'm doing my read through the Bible in one year and I miss three days of reading, I then read four days on the fourth day. I'm, I am not going to get out of scripture okay. what I would have had I done it a little bit each of yeah, those three days. I agree. Because it's little by little, line by line, here, here a little, there a little. And that's the way we function, I believe, as human beings the best. Mm. And so I would advise if somebody wants to do it, it's not going away and getting in a cabin and writing. I think it's more of a consistency mm-hmm. that we hold fast to and it becomes our top priority. Like our whole staff knows when Lisa and I go into writing, basically they can't even contact us yeah, until no, we good. give them permission. Yeah. And and that's that's that to mm-hmm. me is 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 the secret, I believe, of of writing a good book. And the other thing is, has God called you to write a book? Now, don't get me wrong, <clears throat> um, there's a lot of people that are called to preach. I, or excuse me, let me say it like this. We're all supposed to preach. Right. We're all ambassadors of the yeah, kingdom. Yeah. But Matt, there's a calling on your life to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. If I just said tomorrow, I'm going to be a pastor like Matt Brown, I don't think I would have mm. anything like what you've, you've done. You've done it because there's grace on your life to do it. Okay? Yeah. Now, I am called to pastor people. Yeah. I pastor my family. I pastor my friends in the sense of I, I care for them, right? I, I, I feed them. I protect them. So I believe everybody should write. I, but the question is, who books are like people. Who are they called to? Like I've written books that I know are called to entrepreneurs. I've written books that I knew are called to the body of Christ at large. So you got to know who your book's mm. called to. You got to know, for, first of all, you got to know if you're called to write. Yeah, that's a good word. Second, who is it called to? And then you're not going to get discouraged when it doesn't become top 10 on Amazon. Yeah. All right. And then thirdly, don't put that kind of time. It'd be like, I've watched people. I Look, I've been in ministry 40 years. Do you know I've looked at two senior pastors, lead pastors, and said, you need to be in the marketplace? Mm. One got mad at me, didn't speak to me again. The other one did it and came back three years later and said, I am so, so happy. Mm. I, I thought I was loving and serving Jesus by being a senior pastor. I realized God's called me to the marketplace. And they were flourishing. Yeah, that's great. So I believe in callings very strongly. So if you're going to write, and you and God hasn't told you to write. Write for your children. Write for your grandchildren. Yeah, that's a good. Write word. for your friends. Yeah, because writing never goes away. Mm-hmm. Writing endures. It goes to the next generation. Mm-hmm. I know grandparents, a couple of them. You know what they do? They go through the Bible once a year, and they write prayers in that Bible to their grandchildren. And that one grandchild is what they spent the whole year reading that Bible on. And I think that's wonderful. That's a form it. of writing that's going to be generational. But if I'm not called to write and publish a book, mm. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to put four or 500 hours into that and, and, and not be called to do it. Yeah. That's, man, that's such a great word. So uh, if you're listening, don't be discouraged if your book doesn't hit top 10 and pray that my book breaks the top million. You know, because you know, on Amazon, you can you can literally see right where your book is, and so I, I'm so excited about your book. Oh, I mean, you told you. me about two chapters yesterday, mm-hmm. and tomorrow I've got some time off, and I plan on reading those chapters immediately yeah. because oh, thank you. you grabbed my heart when you told me about them yesterday. Yeah, so God, I hope your book does really well. I do too, and um, 
you know, you never know. And so, so here's my hope for my book is that people will, well, let me just tell you this story. So my wife and I have these good friends and he is of another religion. I try to be really careful because he, I think they listen from time to time. So, but he's not Christian and his wife is battling mental illness and I'm in losing. Mm. And we went out to dinner with him and she just shared her heart. And that when you, when you're watching the wheels come off of somebody mentally, it's really hard. And this is a competent person. This is a professional person. And it's just, you're watching a human being disintegrate. And I just said, look, I don't know what's going on with you, but I know who does. And his name is Jesus. I said, would it be okay? We're at dinner. Would it be okay if I prayed over you for healing in the name of Jesus? And my friend who is not Christian, I mean, he has some definitive opinions on Jesus and he is not the Messiah to my friend. I said, would it be okay if I laid hands on you? And I'm looking at his wife. He pops up off the couch. He comes over, lays hands on his wife with me to pray in the name of Jesus. And this is why in California, nobody's worried about going to hell. Nobody's worried about heaven. They're living their lives. But when they're sick, when they're dying, when they're divorced, when they can't pay their rent and they need a miracle from heaven, they will listen to Jesus. And what I tell our people is, look, I don't know what God is gonna do, but I know what he can do. And that's where my faith is. And we prayed for this woman and I'm watching my friend sob, sob, because he said yes to the hope that Jesus might be real. And God will work with it, right? The faith of the mustard yes. seed. So, so that's my hope, John, is that evangelism is so hard in California, but when people are hurting, man, Jesus is right there. And there's a reason he did miracles first. And so I said in the book, before he was ever known as the Messiah, he was known as the miracle worker. And there's a reason for that because it opens hearts. And I said this, miracles don't give answers, but they do demand bigger questions. What on earth is going on? And so, so just pray for us in California. I'm hoping that this is a book that people can give to their non-church friends. Hey man, there, there's this guy, Jesus. And he, I believe he hears my prayers. I believe he has the power. And what I would say is, if you need a miracle, John, what do you have to lose? Like, I, I don't know where the risk is. The people that get yeah. healed quicker than anybody else, historically for me, mm. are the unbelievers. Yeah, I know. I mean, I just sit there and laugh and go, God, here, I'm going to watch you do this again. It's because God loves those people mm. so deeply. Oh, and I believe miracles are signs. And signs don't point to themselves. They point to something Amen. else. They, they point to Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, Matt, I'm going to say this because I feel like being in ministry 40 years, I feel like I've I've come to that place where I'm, I'm kind of like a dad, yeah. right? I see, and I think I'm going to say something that you know, but I want to say it on this podcast. You're not only a pastor, you have a tremendous evangelistic gift on your life. Thank you. And I want to encourage you to pray how to give voice to that evangelist in you mm. on platforms outside of your church. Mm. Thank you, brother. I'll yeah, be praying for because that. Because he who wins souls is wise. There mm. is a wisdom on, on bringing people into the kingdom. I know I've told my team, hey, I like to preach, but I love to do altar calls. Yes, I know. I've been a part of them. <clears throat> I mean, um, I, I got asked to speak to, uh, there were a thousand a thousand business leaders coming into a conference and this was two years ago and it was going to be at the m hotel in las vegas and the uh the, the guy who's running this big conference just loved our books and he said would you come in so about four weeks out he called me and he said john can you not use scripture and i said 
Oh. I can if you want me to, but I said, it won't be near as effective. I said, you got to let me be me. Yeah, amen. I love that about you. I love that. He said, "Yeah, okay. So here he goes. They paid to come to this conference. I get up and I start preaching. Mm. (laughs) And he gave me 50 minutes. And I mean, you could see the people were so angry. We've paid to come to this conference and you put a preacher up in front of me. I mean, you could just see it, right? Well, it, it started getting stronger and stronger and stronger as far as how I felt like it was connecting with them. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, 200 of those thousand business leaders stood up to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior. And it wasn't a light altar call. Well, after the conference, this guy went up to the, to the guy who ran the whole conference. He said, I was so angry when that guy got up and I realized you put a preacher in front of us. He said, I went to get up. My legs wouldn't work. Amen. He said, I went up to get up again. My legs wouldn't work. He said, I tried it a third time. My legs wouldn't work. He said, by the time my anger subsided, I started listening to him. And when he called to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, I stood up. He said, my life is so changed. And I thought, how interesting. God is so, so interested in reaching people that he would literally stick a guy in his chair so he could listen, so he could hear. And I, I think there's a lot of people. I think there's so many people in the Valley of Decision. I think you've got enemies of the cross. They're actually, they're, 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 they're like, I'm, I'm an enemy of G. But then there are so many people, I think, and this is the majority of the people in California that are in this Valley of Decision. Yeah. And they need somebody who's wise and somebody who's real and somebody genuine and somebody who's anointed mm. to tell them. So I just want to encourage you. Well, thank you, brother. All right, John, we're going to end this episode here and we're going to be jumping in next week with some questions from our listeners. So don't miss uh, the part B to this interview next week on The Debrief. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. My book, Every Day a Miracle, comes out March 5th. Please pre-order today. It is a book about a journey towards trusting God who heals inside and out. Thanks for watching the episode.